e-laughing 和我们在听。Hello and welcome to episode thirty-eight of the Floor Hammer podcast, the light take on the grim dark. I'm David Pettit, and I'm joined by the man whose head is smoother than an Amorium cherub's butt. <laughs> it's Rich O'Keefe. Hey, Rich. Hey, Dave. Is that a compliment? I don't think so. so you've got a nice complexion, nice smoothness. Let's roll with that. So back to the normal scheduling after our very special episode, last one with Dave, and he's such a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah, what a privilege to have a chat with him. He was uh, he was very good at putting us at ease. We were a little nervous speaking to a legit celebrity because Chef isn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was just so cool and calm and friendly. Mm, he was a really nice guy and had a lot of time for us. I mean, we had a bit of recording time before the episode, mm. and he just he just likes to talk. And he's really passionate about the whole hobby in general. Yes, yeah, so that definitely came across. But to get the corporate stuff out of the way, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Floorhammer Podcast, our website floorhammerpodcast.com, and our Instagram handle at floorhammer underscore podcast. So, do you want to start off with what's coming up today? Yeah, sure. We can dive into some hobby progress. I did read your show notes, but I read them so briefly, I'm not sure if you've been really, really busy or you've managed to make a very small amount of work look massive in the notes document. I'm very much still in the student mindset of repeating myself several times nice. so that it increases the word count. Good work, good work. No, no, uh, to be fair, I did um, I did have a lot more time this week and uh, got a lot done because I was, I was quite motivated because I've got to the point where I'm actually producing results. I can't be asked to spray paint and the, the bit between building and spray painting is an abnormally long time for me. Is that a massive motivational hump to get over? It is. I hate spray painting. I, I know it's just a it rattle takes, can. It takes no time at all. I know, but it's the preparation and... Doing it properly. Is and having fact. to do it outside yeah. and I don't, I don't really like it. But no, no, we'll, we'll cover off my hobby progress later. Yeah, you don't want to get it all out of the way now, mate. That'll no, be, uh, <laughs> exactly. Be disappointing. Uh, obviously, we've got the Games Workshop releases and as it's Monday, the Sisters Battle Bulletin came out yes. today. Oh, that man. We'll get on to that, but oh, I'm so excited. Mm. And it was my turn to have two games this week as well. It was. It was. You're on catch-up. I was. Both games were on the same day as well. <laughs> You're really cramming it in, mate. You got that free pass from the wife and just capitalised big time. I did. She, she took him out for the day and I was uh, eager to get a couple of games in. Good man. And we've got a topic coming up that was provided to us by one of our patrons about uh, hobby projects that you've started and stopped. And how to get around that. Yeah, ones that have uh, been abandoned or fallen by the wayside. It's quite interesting, actually. It's a good, good yeah, suggestion. great suggestion. And then we're going to round it off with the hobby tips based on my armies on parade progress. Dun, so, dun, dun. more to come on that. So, go on, Dave. Get into it. Hobby progress. Yes, like I said at the start of the show, I had a bit more time to work on my Templars this week. So, I got a few things done. So, with a game in mind... Um, on yep. the Saturday, so between recording on the Monday and playing a game on the Saturday, I managed to get my aggressors finished. Yeah, good work. So as I've mentioned previously on this podcast, I'm quite good with deadlines. 
when it comes to painting. It actually makes you do stuff, which yeah, is good. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I pushed myself. I finished off the aggressors. I was going to put on the shoulder pads until we had a conversation um, and something that we'll mention later in the releases. Um, the upgrade sprues for the supplements yep. um, came out. So if the Black Templars have... Uh, an upgrade sprue similar to those we've just seen from uh, the Iron Hands and Raven Guard. I am going to hold fire on putting the aggressors' shoulder pads on until I see, until I see them at least, as long as they are one of the next supplements to be released. Because I don't think I could go without shoulder pads for that long. No, I mean I text you straight away saying like, hold the phone on this because uh, the upgrade sprues are out. I think that they will get them because the fists have one already and it's only going to be the Templars and Salamanders that need them now. So I'm pretty confident that uh, that they'll get their own. Those ones from days gone by are looking a little dated now. The details aren't as sharp as more recent versions. So mm. a new one would be fantastic. So I think you've made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, if they weren't coming out or there were none on the horizon, I might go back to Forge World if they still do the Black Templar Terminator shoulder pads. I don't know if they still do them, actually. But I could always take them off my um, Terminator shooter squad because I don't actually use those at all. But they're so good now, mate. They are, but I just prefer the Assault Squad because Templars. Fair enough, yeah. Um, so yeah, the aggressors were finished, uh, apart from the bases. So, uh, I just need to get an order of their bases in. I'm probably going to go with the bases that I had for the rest of the army currently, yep. rather than rebasing the others. Even though I've sort of come around to the fact that I'm not going to use my tactical marines ever again. <laughs> they're just not, they're not really viable for me because I don't like the way they look. I've I've tasted Primaris. Yep. And I don't really want to go back. They just seem more realistic, he says, <laughs> in this world of 40k. But uh, you, you know what I mean? They're, they're more the true scale. They've got the longer legs. They just look more dynamic. And, and when it's when you go back to a, a standard tactical marine. They look so stumpy. And because they are a little bit bigger, the details are just that little bit larger and easier to highlight as well. They're a lot more enjoyable to paint. You're not fighting with the model to, to get the highlights in there tidily. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's just because they're bigger. Yep. But I have also been working on my Leviathan Dreadnought. Yes. So um, I mean, I say yes in an excited way. And then realise you're going to face it on the battlefield. With two <laughs> storm cannons, or whatever they're called. I yeah. They are sweet. But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've done the body highlighting, so that is um, all done. I, I also painted up the um, shield on the chest armour as well. So um, if you remember, I've got the shield with the chains on, yes. on one of the sort of the pauldrons, or the, ch the chest armour, I should say. Uh, so that's that's all done. That's all painted up. Um, I've painted all the metal and the knee plate as well, so all the knee cap armour. I guess if that's such a thing. So I've painted that um, as I've done with a lot of uh, things in my Templars with the Crusader colours. So my my Crusade is um, it's the Jerulus Crusade, but it, essentially it's red and white quarters. Nice. Yeah, it looks good. It uh, pops off the black, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I really like the Jerulus uh, Crusade. It's all about sort of a heretic world, and uh, when the uprising had been quelled, they just burned a thousand heretics uh, just because only a thousand yeah <laughs> couldn't <laughs> find the, any more it's probably the last a thousand of the population 
uh, I think it was like some, something like that, but it, it really caught my imagination at the time, and I thought, yeah, Burning Heretics. I'll say, Burning the Heretics is definitely going to catch a Templar fan's uh, attention every single time. Yeah, and also the Red Quarters looks really cool. So yeah, Visually, it really makes a difference to have something that pops... I hate using that phrase too often, but it really does because the black is very, not flat because you've highlighted it. It can be a bit monotone. It can. So having something really punchy like red and white together, yeah, really, really shines and it ties in nicely with the kind of heraldry that like Crusaders used to carry around with them. Yeah. Um, So yeah, a good crossover. Yeah. Well, I say white and and red. They're actually ivory and red now because I've gone over to the, uh, not rusted, um, weathered look now. Uh, it looks really good. I really like the the whole sort of instead of using white, you use ivory, just because it looks more. It looks like it's been through the wars, so to speak. I haven't done any sort of holes or chips or arm, armor sort of um, scuffs and scrapes yet. Uh, that'll be the the sort of final touches. But, yeah, a little sponging will go a long way. Yeah, and I, I might drill some bullet holes as well into the, the pauldrons. I've, I've done that with the, the sort of the vehicles as well. Anything with a large flat surface just to break it up. Yep. Especially when it's just flat black. But I, I also stuck him back together again because I had an unfortunate accident Ooh. when I was spraying him originally. Um, and he was in about five different pieces, which was actually the original reason why I stopped doing him and went back to the aggressors and... Or went to the aggressors, I should say, instead. Uh, just because it was quite disheartening when he fell on the floor. It It is very disheartening when stuff goes wrong after you've already gotten a certain amount of into the project. It's it's uh, good to pause. Yeah, I mean, he was all, he was all glued together, obviously, because that's how it comes apart. But uh, yeah, he, he smashed... Luckily, he didn't smash pieces-wise, but he broke into his body and his legs and his feet all came off and it... It just annoyed me after I'd spray painted him as well. So there were, it was slightly wet still. Oh, so dirt gets stuck to it and all, yeah. Yeah, well, it wasn't too bad actually, because uh, it was on my floor at home. Luckily, I, I think I'd just cleaned it actually. You so. got him back in the house? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So he was, he was almost dry. He was drying. It didn't have a load of things stuck to it, but it was a bit scuffed as where, where I'd like picked it up and you got like the slight fingerprint ridges. Mm-hmm. However, where it is, the fingerprint markings make it look almost like it's been uh, warped by flame. Okay. So that's what I might do in it. I might take away some of the black and put silver chipping in there. Yeah, cool. Uh, so it looks like Work it's been... It. Yeah, it looks like it's been flamed. How much do you think that would Leviathan weighs, Dave? Uh, so not, not the real... Not in fluff terms, in like the actual model. I mean, if I wielded it, I could probably kill a man. Because don't you have something that's quite valuable and weighs kind of like seven or eight pounds that you probably shouldn't drop? Oh, God. I mean, that drop pod. The... <laughs> <laughs> Nicely sidestepped. <laughs> no, no, I suppose it's good practice. At least I dropped the Leviathan, uh, one of my babies. Yes. <laughs> um, that drop pod I have dropped one or two times as well. That thing just comes apart. Uh, especially with the older superglue as well and the Forge One bundle. That thing yep. weighs an absolute ton. In fact, you... you uh, Broke it for you last <laughs> time. It, yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, he is all done body-wise because I painted his head up as well. Nice. Uh, so he's all highlighted. highlighted uh, he's all stuck together. The metal's done. His head's done. Uh, I'm now just working on the white parts now. So uh, essentially it's the shoulders and uh, his guns as well. Nice. Uh, so they have been sprayed silver uh, and then washed with an oil. 
I love Lead Belcher in a can. Mm. It's, it's the best of the colours in a can, I think. It is, until you put a, uh, a wash directly over it. So what I've had to do is actually spray it silver with the Lead Belcher mm-hmm. and then um, hit it with a matte varnish. Just because it's a bit shiny and the washes run off. Oh, too much. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's like a hydrothermic. No, wait. Hydro. Hydrophobic. Hydrophobic. That's it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. No, it it settles in the recesses, but it runs literally completely off the raised bits. Not too much. Yeah. And it it can pull in droplets because it doesn't uh, apply evenly. So I had to. just hit it with a, a bit of matte varnish just to smooth it out a bit. Yeah, so it's literally just the guns to go, the base, um, and then a few embellishments like any transfers or chipping, bullet wounds, that sort of stuff. And then whilst I was painting him, I realised I needed a few more paints, as you do. So you go into a games workshop. Uh, I had a list of, I uh, think, three paints. Caribou Crimson, Kislev Flesh, and something else. Paints of faces, then? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was, actually. Uh, uh, Caribou Crimson is actually the uh, wash I put over my Mephiston Red as well. Oh, so it's okay. slightly darkened down um, because I'm a grim dark painter, as we have discussed previously. But when you're in a games workshop and the paints are strategically placed next to the this is just out, mm. what about these? Mm. What about these? And then you look slightly to the right and then you see the Space Marine range and then you go... <sighs> Fine, I'll buy the Invictus. <laughs> or the Invictor, isn't it? Invictus, Invictus Warsuit. Yeah, I just... I love that thing. The Invictor Warsuit is just sweet. I loved the Centurions when they first came out, and a lot of the group hated on me. Well, that was mainly me. It was mainly you. And then you hated on them even more when I used the Grav... Uh, oh, we'll get onto that. Yeah, Jeez. The Grav against you. Uh, that was back in 7th where Grab was horrific. Um, but no, I, I love the Invictus and, and, and I really like the uh, Flamer as well. And I am going to try and convert it so that he's holding it two-handed. Nice. Just because I like the idea that he is just a big marine. I think it might be a bit hard because he's got the, the sort of the bulbous belly like the Redemptor does because it's the same chassis, albeit with less armour. Um, so I think it might be a struggle. I haven't. I mean, it's still on the sprue. I haven't even. Uh, I haven't taken the cellophane wrap off it yet. So I'm gonna see what I've got to work with. But a pipe dream is to have him holding it two-handed. Nice. Sort of like a broadside battle suit. But yeah, so I, I got quite a lot done for me uh, for hobby progress. That's what three completed models. I suppose I finished off the chaplain this week as well. But you really strung that out as well. Yeah. Good work. I mean, how many minutes is that? Like 20? Too many. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so that's what, three completed, four completed models and a Leviathan. You're so smug. Yeah, I know. So what about you then? Okay, so good time to update on the contrast challenge that I set myself. Are they all done? No. I have completed step one, which was... You completed step one last week. <laughs> no. Last week I'd put them all together and primed them. Literally after we did the recording... Is that not step one? No, the next day after... All right, fine. This is the audio equivalent of a death stare. So, I have gotten on with the next step, which is to uh, layer them with um, Stormhost Silver. The test model that I did with Lead Belcher itself was a little too dark. Okay. 
So by layering on with Stormhost Silver, when you go over with a contrast paint that brings everything down a notch, it just looks a little brighter and the highlight effect of the contrast paint looks a little better. Okay, so where, where are you doing this Stormhouse Silver? Is it on the flat panels? Are you like a, almost like a Zenthal highlight? Are you doing it on the top edges of everything? No, I overbrushed it onto the whole model. So it kind of has coated like all the flat panels, all the raised areas. It's basically only the deep recesses it didn't get into. Okay. Um, yep. To kind of give myself a nice flat surface. I could have done the whole Zenithal thing, but the whole point of this was to be quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and that alone took me an hour and 35 minutes to, which I think is not too bad, to overbrush the 40-odd models that's in the, the set to be done. That's so, pretty good. Plus the weapons and things are all separate. So, yeah, I did pretty well. Next step is to apply the contrast paint. I did the contrast on the Chaplin as a tester. Mm-hmm. Um, controversial, going to do the Chaplin in the actual army's armor color because he has got a large amount of robes and the hood and all the other details that I'm going to be doing black. Um, I didn't want it to be a completely black model. So I've gone with the armor, which is only... You can only see like his backpack, his arms, and like one and a half of his legs. So it's not too much blue. I like it. Um, they're holding his hands at the moment. And yeah, everything else will be black. So I think between those two, it'll, it'll look pretty good. So it took me a minute to apply the blue to their armor, and it's done. So I'm hoping that within an hour's session, I'll be able to get the next set done, which will be everything with the blue on it. Yeah, I, I like non-conformist models, as I quite like a lot of conversions. So actually having the Chaplin in the normal colors, albeit with the black robes, I think it's going to look look really good. And you're going to tell, you're still going to be able to tell that he is a Chaplin. So I've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it, so I'm gonna, gonna, gonna crack on. Also, Ultramarines. A little bit more progress on the vehicles. Highlights were done the last time we, we recorded, and now I've moved on to doing all the detailing and the metals. Right. So, I did the Land Raider first of all, which is the biggest of the lot. I needed to do a couple of highlights on the details, so I've got the Forge World, uh, upgrade sprue on it. And some brass etch as well, I see. Yes, that's right. Between the two of them, there's a lot of detailing there to paint, and you know they're all stone effect on the forge world bits. So I need to make sure I do proper highlights on those so they look good. As you take it off the board, <laughs> uh, depends who you face. You yes, know? face a land raider. Land yeah. raider these days, not not too shabby. And I've also had some progress with my admech. So I mentioned before that I had the start collecting plus another unit and I have gotten to the stage now where I've done all of the legs have been washed and dry brushed. So they, the metal bits. they were silver, weren't I they? I sprayed them lead belcher yep. and done the fatigue parts of the top half of their legs are basically pantaloons. They're, quite, they're, quite, they're, they're these quite loose sort of baggy bottom things. Um, so done those in purple. Okay. Um, and then the groin armour that they have will be in bone to match the knights, the purple and bone scheme and the top half of the model I've done all of their cloaks in purple, I've just got to do the shade and then the highlight and then all the cloaks will be done and the legs will be done and then I'll just stick them together and then finish off all the other details on the model so they've actually been quite quick to paint Nice, remind me, are they a custom Forge World or are they a specific one? They will be a custom Forge World Very nice, and the knights are they going to be admech as well? Or they're going to be house. So the house I've gone for. I mean, I've built them with all the admech detailing, or with all the 
Mechanicus aligns detailing on them. Okay. Um, they've got like the cog symbols on part of their shoulder pauldrons, some of them, actually all of them. Um, and they currently are house Raven, which is ad, which is Mechanicus aligned. Okay. So I've been using the Raven rules, but obviously because I've done my custom Forge world and custom Night House, I can kind of pick and choose the rules that I want to try out. Yeah, it makes sense. So those guys are being done for Use in Armies on Parade. Mm. So I can see it behind you. Yes. Last year, I entered an Age of Sigmar themed board um, because it was a test for my Age of Sigmar board that I've yet to build. But I did <laughs> Good test job. everything. I Good tested job. everything. I've actually now bought... Uh, I did a massive order of all the plastic um, components to make all the tiles out of. Um, so I do have the components to start work on the Age of Sigmar board. So I think that's a project for next year. However... On, the, on this 40k part. <laughs> yes. Well, I can do other hobby in my spare time, you know. I'm not bound to do 40k, although it tends to take over. Oh, I'd I definitely bring it up in my hobby progress as well. You bring up anything in your hobby progress, <laughs> mate. I did it last year. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, left myself uh, nowhere near enough time last year. So this year I said, right, I'm going to be disciplined. I when ordered, is it? It's in October. It's exactly one... It's just over a month from day of recording. Okay. So it'll be four weeks to go after the show actually comes out. Last time I'd left myself nowhere near enough time. R- had to rush at the end. Wasn't happy with having to rush. So this year I said, not, not again. I ordered my materials in June and July. And I started building it last week. Nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> so just like your ultramarines, they can be really cool. And then you're going to have to rush it at the end. Not too bad. Because I spent a lot of time doing the planning. So I knew exactly what it is that I've got to do. So in the first week and a half, I think, since I started actually working on it, I have built the structure. So the concept is it's going to be um, a night facility, so a house facility, and it's a large gate uh, that the knight and the armagers are going to be walking out of um, with a collection of the admech support forces in front. Um, So I've built this gateway into a rock cliff face, um, and we'll have like admech tiles and stuff in front of it for like a little walkway nice and it's coming on very well so you've got what a couple of rock faces and the gate built yes i've got the gate built um and interior detailed with the sector mechanicus parts Mm -hmm. and some pipes that i bought and some other bits and pieces i've had lying around for a while and the rock face is i essentially built the overall uh structure of the rocks uh, out of some packaging cardboard that I had. So it's the honeycomb stuff you get in your IKEA furniture. So I, I use that to make the shape. Um, I've then clad it in these rocks. Um, Stay tuned to find out how. Exactly. I'll cover this in the hobby tips section. And so far, like you say, it's come together quite well. I've got a little bit more of the rocks to do on all the different parts of the cliff base. And then I have got to finish the groundwork after that. So I'm, I think, more than halfway through the assembly stage. Then it'll be moving on to the painting stage. Nice. It's it, Like I said, it's coming on very well. And it actually looks like a cliff face. So congratulations. <laughs> yes, mission accomplished. <laughs> Dave thinks it's a real cliff. Right, should we get on to talking about Games Workshop's hard work then? Yes, please. <laughs> right, so it's my turn to be smug about predictions for Games Workshop for the year, Dave. I, I will give you this one, yeah. Plastic? Aspect Warriors. You called it? It wasn't Warhammer Fest News, which is what I initially claimed it would be. <laughs> no. <laughs> but better late than never. Yes. So I'll give you a half point. You're too kind. <laughs> 
Yes, this is the news that Banshees have been shown. Yeah, I mean, they've been out for a couple of weeks at this point, but they just missed our recording clip, I think. So they are looking fantastic. They're so smooth. And I like the fact that you can instantly tell they're Banshees because they look very similar to the old models, yet don't look old. Yes, they've done a really good job. I mean, the old Banshees, air quotes old, are from like 12 years ago. Um, not like 20-odd years ago, like the Warp Spiders. And Finecast. Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I know. But having them in plastic is such a massive boon for Eldar players. And yeah, like you say, they're a great nod to the original material. Just stepped up a gear. And it's really weird. They're super smooth, like you say. Yet the details look really crisp. Yeah, it's almost like it's like a 4K rendering of the old model. <laughs> nice. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's, it's, they look a bit more dynamic. They look a bit more proportioned i suppose because they still the old banshees were fantastic models to be fair if you got the one out of the five models in the fine cast kit correct uh, the rest are all warped and you have to stick them in hot water for a while full of holes and all the other problems yeah but um they are a lovely throwback and like i said they are just an upgraded old model they haven't done anything ridiculous with them no which they didn't need to we've only seen a couple so far though so we don't know what extras they might have in terms of options and cool stuff on the sprues so true, just watch true. the space there's a, yeah i mean there's only been two that are shown yeah. one bare-faced yes nice. which i thought was a bit strange considering they have the banshee mask i think he still had the part around the mouth like the grill yeah so that the, the amplification so they didn't have the whole full mask but they still had the audio effect i suppose with his earplugs in <laughs> nice and to offset that plastic incubi yeah this was so this came out what two hours ago three yep, hours ago out of nowhere and i think i audibly heard tim cheer <laughs> and even though i live like three miles away i didn't see this coming at all no no idea i mean obviously everyone they said everyone would get something and for drukari a lot of their range is in plastic anyway so it was a big question as to whether they would get something new or stuff redone like this. And uh, man, have they redone the Incubi. Again, only one model released, the Clavex, but it looks so sweet. I have a slight problem with it. I don't like the weapon. I don't know what it is about it. I think it just looks a bit, I don't know, disproportionate. That is because he is carrying the Demiglaive, which is the one that splits into two. So I think that's why it looks a little odd. So I think they're bringing that back by the looks of it. It looks like there's two handles that join in the middle. So I think he's going to be able to be built with, I guess, it being wielded in the one or two-handed option. Um, or at least hopefully they put the rules in for that because um, that's what it looks like. So I'm guessing the other ones will have the similar have, style yeah. to the existing ones. Yeah, no, they've actually shared the, the stat line for it. So it splits in two. Uh, so you can either have the single blade, which is plus one strength, minus three AP, yep. one damage, or the dual blades, uh, which is strength user, minus two, but when the bearer fights, it can make two additional attacks with That's the weapon. That's really good. So I don't know how many base attacks the Claybox has. Is it four? So they'll have probably three attacks base, because I think the Incubi had two. Okay, so... Uh, I mean, it's potentially five attacks from this guy. Yeah, it depends on who you're fighting. The great thing is you haven't got to build it that way, by the way they've written it in the article. Uh, you get to choose when you attack with this weapon. Yep, select one of the profiles. Yep, so you can toolbox it up depending on who you're facing. Really good. Yeah, but again, you can tell he's an Incubi straight away, even though the helm looks to be upgraded and the, I suppose the fins on the backpack look to be upgraded as well. 
Yeah, so again, I don't know if he has different ones because he's the Clavex, but um, yeah, like it's, it's similar to the Banshees where they've just re-rendered it in HD and it looks great. Yeah, uh, I apart from the weapon, like I said, I really like it. It's very aesthetically pleasing Ooh. in a weird Dark Eldor way. Yep, and yet more new models released today. Yep. Uh, recording on a Monday. The Sisters Bulletin, as Dave already alluded to, and today it was rhinos. Yes, and not just uh, a rhino with stuff stuck on it. It was a rhino with sisters stuck stuck on it. Yes. Uh, no, no, some of the embellishments look fantastic. There's like a, a martyr shrine, I forgot what it's called, thing on the back of it, which yep. has like the half of the face of the sister and half the face of a death mask. Yep, it's very, really very harlequiny. I guess so, yeah. I mean, there's just some of the little touches, like the filigree works all lovely and all that. Yeah, it looks really nice. But the missile launcher has a servo skull like part of the part of the launcher, and it just looks very grim dark as a tank. Yeah, it's it looks like they've got the same chassis as the Rhino, sprue wise, but then a completely new sisters upgrade yes. sprue for it. And I think the sisters in whole are a great answer to all the internet crowd out there. I don't know how many people have seen it, but so many forums I see people posting on, oh, this model doesn't look as grim dark as it should. No, 40k is losing its grim dark feel. And then they just release the sisters range and are basically a massive middle finger to to the whiners because <laughs> this this stuff is just great. I did see on the Warhammer community page a couple of people in tears that the Rhino wasn't the Deimos pattern Rhino um, because Games Workshop promised Deimos pattern vehicles for sisters. And Ugh. all the, the community team responded with was like a snapshot of the article where it says, uh, this is just the first of many vehicles or whatever. And it mentions like the Exorcist and the one that I was struggling to remember is the one with the heavy flamers on it. Immolator? Immolator, that's it. Yeah. Um, so indicating that they will have the Deimos pattern hull, which I guess if you're a bat- Sisters of Battle purist is super important, but it looks cool so i don't care yeah oh the deimos the deimos pattern i've got two i've got two predators i've got one for my black templars and i actually had one for my salamanders as well my 30k salamanders with the big magma melter gun on the top i couldn't pick deimos armor out of a lineup because i don't care for the heresy it's the, um, well, it's the, it's the one with the big bulbous front to the rhino uh, with like the two tiny slots on it yes it's got like a big pregnant um, and then uh, rounded doors on the side. Rounded doors. The rounded doors I recognise. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I personally think it looks better than the current Rhino, but I would not pick it over the other one because it's twice the price. There we go. So, yes, more sisters hype. More reasons I need to try and stash some money away for November. But wait, there's more Space Marines. <laughs> yes, I'm sure we mentioned Shrike before, but now the Iron Hands have got a brand new character. Yes. Yeah, well, they were one of the only chapters that didn't in fact are they the only chapter that didn't have a named character in the codex yes i think so yeah because i mean even i mean even the crimson fists have cantor even the what do you mean even the crimson well the, the, the lesser the lesser of the two uh successor chapters oh dear. um but no i mean even the crimson fists had pedro cantor so the iron hands not having a special character did have I mean it was a bugbear of a friend of mine that collects them, but this new guy more than makes up for it. I mean the Iron Father Pharos, Fe- Iron Father Ferius, I think, yeah. which is basically Iron Father Iron. Nice. Ferus is Iron, Fer- yep. so Iron Father 
Ironish. <laughs> is that his name? Anyway, he looks badass. He's got so much stuff coming off his backpack, it's ridiculous. Also, I really do like that one of his upgrades on his backpack is basically a grabber claw from one of those arcade machines, so he can uh, infuriate the enemies of the Imperium with it. Can't flip and raiders with it, but I mean, the guy's got a bolter, a drum-fed or a line-fed bolter strapped to his backpack. He doesn't even need to hold it. I mean, his rules are ridiculous. I can't. I don't have them in front of me, and I can't remember all of them. But he gives vehicles a five-up invun. I think it is like a bubble of a five-up invun. Oh, that's nice. Um, so you can have a, I guess, a Land Raider rolling down the battlefield with a five-up invun. Where, where is your god now? <laughs> Finally, it might not die. But he lends himself to my excitedness about Space Marine characters being upgraded to Primaris because he's wearing Gravis, I guess Gravis armor. He's got the big uh, sort of suppressor slash aggressor style boot. Yep, and. It just looks so much more Space Marines-y. So I was actually talking with a, a friend of mine at work, and he was telling me that Space Marines are the size that Space Marines are because Games Workshop was originally meant to be, is it 15mm game? Okay. And as they were coming out, Games Workshop went, no, we want our own range, and made them 28 mil. Right, okay. And that is why the Space Marines are the same size as a human. Space Marines are supposed to be these seven, eight foot, ten foot tall guys. Depending on what part of Fluffy you read, yeah. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're either reading Dan Abner or <laughs> the rule book. But um, no, I mean, they're, they're meant to be these massive superhuman guys that are towering over people, yet they're the same size in, in games terms. Now the Primaris are coming out and they tower over the Imperial Guardsmen, Guardsmen yeah. uh, which is the way it should be. So the new Space Marine characters all being this more bulky, dynamic, just cooler looking Space Marine range really excites me for the other Space Marine characters to come out. I mean, just imagine Lysander in Gravis armor. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's going to look so cool. And Hestan. I hope they do Hestan in, in Gravis armor as well, because he's like the Forge Father or whatever his, his title is called now. Yeah, so he should be beef. And it's obvious that you're going to be excited to see if either they get a Primaris Empress Champion or Hellbrecht. Oh, Hellbrecht. Or both. Hellbrecht Primaris. See, the Empress Champion, I I love the Empress Champion and I've had him in every single list. But now I can't see how he is better than a captain with a Relic Blade. Uh, he gets a few better rules against characters, characters, but how often are you actually fighting characters with them? Not that often. Versus the aura of a captain. Yeah, so it, it's a tough call. Yeah. Um, maybe he could get completely redone. You don't exactly. know. Exactly. So if he gets new rules, and if he... I mean, if he sort of re-rolls attacks all the time, I mean, give him something bonus against characters just for fluff reasons, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's not much better than a Space Marine captain that re-rolls anyway with a Relic Blade. Yeah. So what's what's our speculation then? Next up, Salamanders and Imperial Fists and Successors in one book. Yeah, I mean, the, the rumours are really starting up and, and rolling on about Salamanders being next. Um, apparently there's been a few leaks, but I'm sure that was before the Iron Hands and Raven Guard. Yeah, they've come in pairs so far. We had Ultramarines and Scars. We've had Iron Hands and Raven Guard. I mean, if we're looking at the Isfam 4 Legions, you've got Iron Hands, Raven Guard and Salamanders. So, I'll, I mean... If if you're going to go down that sort of weird route, speculation route, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's probably going to be Salamanders next, and then hopefully the Imperial Fists. I mean, who have we got after that? That's it, I think. Yeah. So, 
It it must be. However, however, <laughs> uh, some some internet uh, rumblings have been going on, and it was shared to our uh, local gaming group as well that the Black Templars have their own category on uh, under the Space Marines now on the website, whereas they didn't have before. Oh. That's so they can put their upgrades through in, Dave. I mean, to be fair, they've got like three special characters, so individual chapter units right off the bat. So, I mean, saying that Sisters of Silence have their own category on exactly. the website as so well, you... so you can't you can't read too much into it. But one can wish list if Black Templars got their own if Black Templars got their own supplement, I would buy the limited edition. That would be probably the only limited edition book rule book from games workshop that i'd probably ever purchase yeah i would i would be all over that right so once you're done waxing lyrical about black templars should we talk about uh talk about some games yep let's talk about the black templars <laughs> <laughs> yes so like i said i had two games this week impressive. which is <laughs> impressive for me um i actually got to use your present for me so the kill team box of terrain and the the mat as nice. well so, using the Kill Team terrain, I played Kill Team, believe it or not, uh, against Upgrade and Dave. So, you played him last episode. Uh, yep. I played him this episode. Um, and this was part of our Hallow's Gate campaign. Yes, you were rip- you were closing off the end of the first round, right? Uh, yeah, second to last, almost. Well, I was second to last. Dave's army in the campaign is Black Legion, and my army is Black Templars. However... I didn't want to play a power armor versus power armor game um, of Kill Team. Wise. So uh, I took my Scions. Um, a, because they are my Kill Team in casual games that we play. Yep. Uh, so I knew how to play with them. Like I said, I didn't want to play power armor versus power armor, bolter versus bolter, the same special weapons versus special weapons. Yeah. So uh, t- to mix it up, took the Scions, and I sort of made it out that they were the the ship's retinue sort of stormtroopers. Yes. Um, sort of reconning the area. Um, because the idea of the campaign, first campaign game, was uh, take prisoners. Uh, so that was the mission. Um, so the idea was that you... Um, I guess, took prisoners for intel. Um, And the way it worked is uh, if an enemy model dies within one inch of you and there are no enemy models around you, uh, you gain one victory point um, to sort of represent you taking them into custody. Yep. uh, Or three victory points if it's the enemy leader. Yes, that's true. So, uh, yeah, so the stormtrooper retinue from uh, the big crusader battle barge um, were on like some sort of recon mission, and they'd stumbled across these Black Legion um, heretics. That's a pretty terrifying thing to stumble across in your uh, patrol. It would be, but it was quite cool because Dave's kill team is like an equal spread of cultists and space marines. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's it was quite cool that it was scions that found cultists, yet were backed up by space marines. It wasn't just space marines and then a few cultists to make the numbers up. Yeah, I like that because that happens a lot in the fluff. They use cult, uh, you know, a massive chaos cult, maybe headed up by a couple of space marines. Yeah, chaos marines. Um, you know, basically driving on thousands and thousands of cultists. Or in this case, like a handful, but still, it's it's a good flavor match. I, I won't go on turn by turn, but um, it was quite it. Well, it was a very close game. 
it was not the ideal scenario for us because we were both very shooty armies. Um, yes, having to punch someone out in combat is difficult for the Scions. Yeah, I, he had a combat veteran um, that I went and had killed almost uh, in round one, maybe round two it was. We just shot him to bits. You I just, just didn't want to face that. Well, the thing is, against power armor, power armor in kill team is scary because it's three up. That, yes. that is quite high until you come up against a hotshot las gun. Yeah, those things are a pain in the ass, man. It's minus two AP. No, and they are scary. I mean, they're only tough. They're only strength three. Although I was rolling fives for days, <laughs> um, but yeah, they punch through armor like there's no tomorrow. Yet they are still shooting at space marines that ignore the first flesh wound. So the chaos or the, Her- the heretic Astartes have that uh, ability as well. Then the transhuman physiology. Yes. Nice. That's good. Yeah, I guess it's a, a space marine thing. It's as it should be. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they are scary, and they did not die very easily. Whereas the cultists, you just shot their faces off. I mean, even the Scions with their four-up armor is quite good. <laughs> yeah, so what was your plan to like beat the cultists up in combat then and take them prisoner? Because trying to nobble a Chaos Marine in combat is going to be really, really big ask. So my overall plan was, knowing that we were two shooty armies, knowing that it's very hard for me to beat someone up in combat, yeah. uh, unless I'm against the Gene Steeler cult. Yeah, oh god, don't go That there. Scion that went died. on a killing spree. No, knowing that it wasn't going to happen. What I decided to do was be quite tentative. Both of us were quite tentative and were firing volleys at each other. Uh, in my case, an actual volley with a volley gun. Nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> you worked hard on that one. You deserved it. Uh, no, no, but we, we we were very tentative. We were shooting at each other. Um, sort of, he killed a, a couple of mine. I killed a couple of his. But it got to eventually uh, close combat. So he had a Chaos Sergeant with a plasma pistol and like a, I can't remember what he had, like maybe a, a chain axe or something. Nice, yeah. Um, obviously he was an ex-Wild Eater or something. So yeah, it, it's quite a hard game because you don't get victory points if there are enemy models um, in combat with you or within one inch away. Yeah, that I missed say. out when Tim and I played our game. Yeah, so it was, it was very much a scrappy game. It was a very low scoring. I mean, it was like a very defensive game. Um, But eventually, um, he whittled down my troops so that his sergeant and a space marine were two against one on one of my scions with none of my models around him. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, So they were in combat and we moved on to the shooting phase and he's got a plasma pistol. Pistols can in kill team can still shoot into combat. Yes, same as 4K. Not yep. when you've charged or being charged, but other than that, yes. Once it's once it's an ongoing combat in air mm-hmm. quotes, you can yeah pistol away. Well, I mean that they, they were fluffing at each other because <laughs> so apparently a space marine with a chain axe is no better than a, a scion trying to ha- like gun butt someone. Nice. He managed to hold his plasma gun up against the underside of my chin and blow my face off. Yeah. So so I mean. Obviously, the idea being that you were taken prisoner and uh, interrogated. <laughs> How did he interrogate you when the top half of your body was missing to a plasma think... incineration? So, so the way Dave, the way Dave put it was, uh, he just needed that like arm sensor thing, the communications device, oh, the communications cuff thing. I would imagine that uh, the arm was all that was left. Yeah. <laughs> after he like blew this 
superheated plasma was it power of a, a small star yeah um yeah into me and blew blew me the fuck up <laughs> yeah i love to think that maybe you just took a swing at him and he just like grabbed your arm like <laughs> yeah. not even bothered and just shot you and yeah just took the arm that he was holding and walked off yeah so <laughs> <laughs> i mean that, that actually turned out to be the only victory point of the game nice so it was a very scrappy uh one nil win to dave unfortunately for me but uh yeah it was very much like a premier league game where someone scores like a 87th minute minute winner in a very defensive one nil crappy game that people have paid to see and everyone goes home disappointed um however the game was very good and uh, there was a bit where <laughs> this scion um against the cultist oh, he fancied his chances he did he did this was my chance to get a victory point punch the cultist in the face um hit him Wounded him. Nice. Dave T-shirt saved him. Oh, that always feels good. So that always I'd, feels good. I punched him in the face, and Dave saved him on the six. Um, so this cultist must have been punched in the face, got up, and then completely garroted this scion. Oh. Uh, luckily, I had a, a mate next to me, so he didn't get the victory point for that one. But um, yeah, this bloody cultist saved himself, and then just absolutely swung and knocked out this. Highly trained imperial soldier. <laughs> exactly, with armour on. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he KO'd that Sion back in the face. But, uh, no, no, it was a very enjoyable game. I love playing Dave anyway. And uh, that Kill Team is fantastic. It's so cinematic. We always say it. And, uh, yeah, I, the Sions should have killed stuff uh, a bit more easily. I mean... Kill the kill count actually at the end of the game was quite even. I think we're like five all, mm. but obviously Dave got the decisive. I was about to say bundled someone into a bag, but bundled this probably a, just the forearm, melted arm. Yep, just the forearm into a bag and uh, stole off with the the intel. So that was actually a chaotic, um, because there's Drukari in chaotic there. Chaotic faction. Yeah, so the chaotic faction uh, won that, and I think they won the overall round they, three two. They won round one. Yeah. Because um, Glenn was useless in the final game. <laughs> yeah, blame him because he played the last game. That's what counts. Yep, uh, that's why I said I was the penultimate game. Nice, nice. Yeah, so uh, we we actually lost because we're on the same team, aren't we? We are, yeah. Uh, which is a good thing because we don't have to pay each other. That is a big plus because what else happened after that? Yep, because um, uh, <laughs> later that day we played each other Black Timbers versus Orcs. Yeah, this was for our campaign, which doesn't have a fancy name. It's called the Urban Conquest Campaign. It's called the um, I've got the spaceport but still losing game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we cracked out the map that we talked about making in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, popped that out and had a look at what sort of game we needed to fight. So looking at the map and it was Orcs versus Black Templars. So we had a look at uh, kind of the segments on the map that were in between the two forces. And I set the table up in a layout that had kind of like an obvious city area at one side, um, and then the Basilicum um, sector, in heavy air quotes, which was basically my large cathedral terrain piece, uh, at one end, kind of separated by wide roads, because we were fighting in the Basilicanum B672 district or something like that. And in order to pick the mission, rather than rolling one up or whatever, Dave and I had to secretly decide what our role uh, in this conflict would be. So you had a choice of assault, hold, reconnoiter, advance, or reinforce. Mm. So Dave, being a Black Tempire player, chose 
Reinforce. Yeah. I chose this because uh, I had just landed on the planet. Yeah. Um, so this was to represent my force actually coming down onto the planet and building up my forces. Because as soon as you hit landfall, you don't just run in attack. Because even the Black Templars have Imperial Fist heritage. Which you're now acknowledging, correct? I, I am acknowledging that. Um, when the battle has started, full force at them. But uh, no, no, I mean, they are space marines at the end of the day. They're not stupid. No. They are going to build up their forces before they go in and attack one at a time. Yeah, and because you picked the sector that had the space ports, we decided <laughs> that you would be the active reinforcements and the Imperium general forces would be the already in already in place forces. Yes. So I was making planet fall on, at this sort of under siege imperial planet so it made sense for me to pick reinforce and uh, orcs being orcs i picked assault yep. which i will pick for the orcs in every single instance of this campaign and from now on i will probably do the same for my templars yep. so we use a matrix that's in the urban conquest book to churn out what mission and we had a mission based around strongholds which was interesting it was cool i've never played it before so what this did was this gave Dave, as the uh, air quotes defending player, six extra command points, which he could spend on the building upgrade options that are in Urban Conquest. So you get these little cool terrain markers that represent uh, things like a Medicaid facility. There was a like a communications port and things like that. So you mark the buildings because City of Death, it looks at the whole building, which is great for me because they're all on tiles. Um, and Dave got to spend these six command points to choose these six upgrades and allocate them as he wanted to after we'd chosen our deployment zones. Yeah, so I chose to have one of each um, just because I thought we'd never used them before. Let's see what they will do. Um, so you actually upgrade, like you said, you upgrade the objective points. Inside a building. Inside the building. Yeah. So you're essentially upgrading the buildings to have one of these six traits. And one of these buildings I have to pick as my stronghold, but it is secret from my opponent. Yep. In this case, you. So the objective of the game for me as the defender is to hold my strong point or stronghold and not let you destroy it. And vice versa, your objective was to destroy my stronghold not knowing which objective marker it was. Yeah, and I had three means of doing this, and they were all stratagem-based, because the Urban Conquest opens new uh, siege stratagems and city fight stratagems. It's cool. Um, it's super cool. Um, and what that allowed me to do was either shoot the building with a siege shell from one of my heavy weapons. Mm -hmm. um, so what you have to do is you have to add, roll a d6 and add the damage characteristic of the weapon, and if you score more than an eight, you demolish that building and the stratagem and the objective and everything within it. So I had to do that to your uh, strong point, which I didn't know which one it was. And also, none of my guns have a damage rating of higher than D3. So I'd have to roll the three and then roll a five or more, basically, to, to, to get it. So it would be very, very unlikely. And the same for combat. You have a like a wrecking ball option as well, which I would possibly get away with my Mecha Dread doing, but very un unreliable yeah also the shooting one is very it can be very op so if you've got like a, a las cannon that shoots i mean you could, you could destroy a an objective a turn from the back of the board and i don't yep. think it's no it's not in the spirit of the game to do that um, and orcs being orcs it was much more fun for you to run forward and destroy them yourself so i used option three which is to take control of a stratagem and because of the mission type we were playing 
for zero command points, I could sabotage that uh, objective. Yep. So I basically had to get in there, clear off whatever unit was on the objective, and then sabotage it with a stratagem at the end of my movement phase. So quite a big ask, but doable over multiple turns. Yep. But obviously I didn't know which one to go for. So aside from the fact that we had a really good standard game of 40k, we also had this cat and mouse game of where's the stronghold? Hmm. So that was our mission, and we both actually selected forces that we haven't used, or a build that we haven't used before. Yeah, so mine included Primaris units, the Aggressors and the Primaris Chaplain, because I've never used them, obviously. Um, I also brought back some upgraded oldies. So the Centurion Devastators with Grav Weapons have been buffed a lot due to a stratagem and a points reduction. Uh, I also bought back my Assault Terminators. I mean, they arguably never went away. So they are really good now with the Black Templar Chapter Tactics and the Primaris Chaplain alongside them. Uh, if he gives them a certain mantra or certain litany. And not forgetting their stratagem as well. And their stratagem as well. And uh, I also bought the Land Raider Crusader. Yes! Because that thing with the Tactical Doctrine with its Hurricane Bolters is horrendous. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The turn where you switched to tactical discipline doctrine, tactical doctrine, mm-hmm. uh, was incredibly painful. So this is the new Space Marine hotness of the doctrines that they get, because your army is 100% Space Marines. You go Devastator to tactical to Assault Doctrine, right? Yep. Each turn you can move it. Um, the minus 1 AP on the heavy weapons is nice. I'm not going to say no to that. But the minus one AP on your rapid fire and assault weapons is just horrendous. I was using the Space Marine Codex for the first time, and I think we can both agree it now packs a massive punch. It helps that you had, what, six Hurricane Bolters in your list? <laughs> yeah, I do love my Hurricane Bolters. Yeah, all of the Centurions had them. Oh, they're the, disgusting. The Ironclad Dreadnought had the, had one, and, and obviously the Land Raider Crusader as well. Um that with the tactical doctrine of the minus one for assault and rapid fire weapons is <laughs> ridiculous. And then combine that with, uh, so we were playing Cities of Death. Yes. And one of the rules in Cities of Death is if you're shooting down uh, onto the streets, you have minus one AP as well. Anytime you're firing at a lower level, so even from level oh. two in a building to level one, so it's it's just so good. I mean, my aggressors, oh god, had minus two bolt storm gauntlets and were just. Ugh. I mean, I felt bad shooting them. I was mad lucky with the knobs unit that got shot at and only took eight casualties. Um, <laughs> yeah, only eight because knobs. I rolled a disgustingly high number of t-shirts. What was essentially became a t-shirt, save for the the heavy armored knobs. You um, took you took a picture of the dice roll. That was how good it was. Yeah, it was obscene, but still, they just got mowed down by those aggressors. They are going to be MVPs in games. Yeah. Would you say underpointed? No, because they did die relatively easily when I hit them back with the Mega Knobs, just tore them to bits with their three damage weapons. But they do have power fists in combat, so it's not like the Centurions where if you get them in combat, they're they're gone. They're done. I don't know. Both were good. Both were really good for you. I mean, I concentrated on killing the Centurions fairly early on. I made sure I didn't kill them all off because I knew you wanted to play with your new toys and we wanted to keep it there. But I made sure to kill, like, one in the first turn and remove the unit in the second turn because of the damage it did in the first turn. 
the orc list that I took, I included for the first time some grots. Yes. Um, I took the chef's tactical advice and put a grot unit in my army to shield the looters. From the front. From the front, because, well, I, I mean, I put the looters in a building and then I put the grots on the ground floor in a wraparound. Um, because they have a stratagem for one command point, which is really good. You can pass off all incoming shots a unit onto the grots. If so you when shot you, through the grots. Yes, if you shot over the grots. Yep. Um, in a straight line. Um, the, the receiving units. <laughs> as opposed to what? Well, no, as in, like, you draw a line through the unit, right? Oh, no matter right, yeah. what height they're at. Um, gets a wanted bullet action going. Exactly. That's almost what you managed. And what you can do is on a two up, any wounds that the unit takes is passed on to the grots as mortal wounds. Yeah. So you just basically look out Sir at the old rules onto the grots, which is great. Yep. All these grots jumping in the front of bullets. <laughs> jumping or picked up and held in front of the bullets either <laughs> yeah. or. Um, tactical genius from me, I think, the way I set it up. I left a small gap at the side because I wanted to move one of my battle wagons past in the first turn. And of course, Dave then drop podded in turn one, because you can now. Oh, yeah. A uh, dreadnought with a hurricane bolter. Yeah. And it was behind by an inch the line of grots that were protecting <laughs> my looters, and the looters got hosed off the face of the earth. Yeah. I mean, I, I got, to be fair, I got extra lucky with that hurricane bolter. Um, you did, but not forgetting that dreadnoughts are one of the classifications of models that always get bolter discipline regardless of their, whether they moved or not. So yep. it clambering out of a drop pod gave no shits and just hosed down the looters. Yeah, I mean, it was, what, 12 shots? And, I mean... I you wisdom of the ancients did as well, so it was rerolling ones to hit. Yeah, oh. and yeah, there was just a massive rain of fire that uh, I, I just couldn't deal with. Oh, yeah. It was... I mean, it was a pure tactical genius and... Um, mm. Yeah. No, of course, it was only until I start, I went to shoot at the looters, you were like, ah, crap. <laughs> oh, no. I can't pass it off because the shot goes just past the back of the grass. I mean, it was a great use of a drop pod. Um, I it think shows, shows how effective they are. That The power that is back with drop pods for that turn one deep strike is great and very pleased to see it. It is a lot of points, though, because you have to take the looters yeah, pattern. Um, yes, which was the right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's the big chunk of Forge World resin that we were talking yeah. about earlier. I th- I think it's uh, it's what twenty points more than a normal drop pod. Oh, okay. But I mean, worth it. I mean, it's got no guns. But okay, yeah, worth it if you are drop podding an ironclad dreadnought into the back lines of uh, yeah. an orc army it or is. any army. To be fair, um, that thing can wreck face damage five weapon. <sighs> In combat, yeah, it's horrendous. And most of my guns are strength seven and eight, so I was going to struggle to kill it off, which in the end I didn't. I didn't even bother. So overall, a good game. Really bloody back and forward. Um, I made notes that it started a chain reaction because Dave struggled with his usual uh, exploding battle wagons because the Terminators wrecked Nob's battle wagon, which blew up and killed a bunch of them. The Nobs then got out and killed the rest of the Terminators. The aggressors then shot the Nobs to pieces. The Mega Nobs then got out of their vehicle and crushed the aggressors, and so on and so forth across the entirety of the game. Yeah, it was uh, it was trading blows, literally. But then hanging over all of that blood and gore was this stronghold decision. And I could not read, Dave, with his poker face, on which <laughs> of three buildings it could have been. There was the location of the landing pad held by the Centurions and a tactical squad and a captain. Well, that's the thing, because I didn't need to hold it. Which no, I know. I'll, but I'll your brain it, goes there. I'll come to it at the end of the game. Um, what I should have done, but yeah, uh, carry on. 
Thank you for interrupting me. That's right. And there was another building that was being held by the aggressors. Mm-hmm. And there was one building at the back of the board that, in turn one, you moved away from the objective, despite the fact that it gave you a command point. Yes. And then you went, ah, I've only got one bike left after I shot your bike. And you're like, I'm going to move him back here so I can generate a command point. On a five. On a five. Which is pretty good. But then I was like, that can't be his stronghold. He wouldn't have left it to be defended by a biker. Or was that a clever ploy? To make me go back there and think that, and there's this, of course it was. there was this mind games ongoing, but the mind games were in my mind because Dave just stood there and smiled, so I had no idea what was going on. I don't smile when I play 40k. <laughs> Fair enough, you grizz- grizzled look of a Black Templar fan, and I was confusing myself as to how many layers of bluffs Dave was piling on top of himself when actually he was just standing there and not saying much. So in the end, it's like that Simpsons episode when Homer's thinking, like uh, Marge is trying to work out what Homer's <laughs> thinking. He's just got the monkey playing the symbols in his head. Yeah, that was that's, that's, that's pretty good. In the end, I did get the last stronghold. Um, I had a choice between two. One of the ones that was defended and that one that with the biker was there. And I'm like, nah, Dave's trying to play me for the fool here. And I went for the one with the biker on it. Because you can only spend that stratagem, because it's, it's a match play game. You can only do that stratagem once. I had to pick which of the two objectives to try and, and take out. And I fortunately picked the right one, which was the comm station right at the back of the board that David basically ignored for the whole game. So, well played. You could have made it one of the ones in my deployment zone. Which would have been hilarious. So, so this is what I was going to say. In hindsight, I should have either given it to the one that the scouts were holding, which you ignored for the entire game, as they all ran past the scouts thinking, are there any scouts? Or I should have done the one, your orcs, you're going to run towards me. I should have done it, uh, the one over sort of your side of the board, which was actually in the middle of the board because it was quite compact because I knew you were going to run forward and I know that I needed a stronghold. Um, so we deployed the objectives a bit closer to my side of the board. Yeah. But I should have put the stronghold on your side of the board. Because, like I said, I didn't need to hold it. I just needed to make sure it didn't get destroyed. Yeah. And in order for you to destroy it, you needed to capture it and then destroy it. Yeah, so you could have made me consider whether I needed to move halfway across the board in my into my own deployment zone to get an objective that may or may not have been the stronghold. Uh, there's a lot of tactical and gambling play in, in, in this mission. I'm really, uh, really impressed with it. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was, it was brilliant. So when you are competent with your army and um, you... I mean, competence can, pushing it. But. Well, when, when you don't have to constantly look up the rules, you can gain extra rules. this case, it was the, the campaign and uh, the Cities of Death. And having yep. those extra rules like the Cities of Death shooting down into the streets and and the ability to blow up objectives, that sort of stuff. It really makes a repetitive game a lot more interesting and different. I mean, because if we'd gone for uh, 1v1, that game would have played out a lot more differently. Yeah, a lot more like on our previous Orcs vs. Templars games. So spicing it up like this was great. Mm. And then once the game was finished, it didn't end there. We had to move on to the campaign phase which basically involved us tallying up a whole bunch of points. So the Orcs did surge ahead in the campaign because they got more glory points and campaign points for winning the game. However, they did not generate very many strategic points. Very, very Orcish. (laughs) Very Orcish from the locations held on the map. So you get two types of points, campaign points which contribute to your overall score and the strategy points that let you buy campaign stratagems at the end of the round. So, 
basically you pass the deck of campaign stratagems around, you purchase the ones that you want to with your strategic points and you slot them in next to your army name and then you can use them during the next campaign during the next campaign round. So Imperium um so the orcs had zero strategy points, so they didn't get one. Standard. Well done, orcs. Yeah. Because all their locations they hold of no strategic value. We did go very fluffy with these um, stratagems, we actually. Did. Yeah. Just so reading the, through them now. So the next one up was the Imperium. So the Imperium didn't take part in this battle because we did orcs and Templars, and the Imperium and Thousand Sons is the other faction were involved. So mm-hmm. I earned a strategic point from one of my locations, so I upgraded that location to be a comm station. Yeah. Which generates extra points. Very Imperial. The Thousand Suns, however, were next in the list. They had their one strategic point as well. What did you purchase, Dave? Uh, so I thought I, I put on my Thousand Suns head and became a sorcerer. And now, I picked out the uh, stratagem, I think it's called scry- Scrying the Portents. Something it's along those lines. Something yeah. along those lines. But essentially what it does is it affects the next battle round. And I thought, how Thousand Suns-ish is it to be able to affect the battle rounds, even if you're not even involved? Yeah. Uh, being able to affect the um, mission types and, and what the objectives are in each battle round, I thought was really zinchian. <laughs> yeah, so mechanically, every round you generate a special rule for the round. Yep. So Dave got to pick. We got to draw three from the deck and then pick which one he wanted to be in effect for everybody. So it's very, very flavorful. Yeah, I loved it. And the Black Templars? So the Black Templars uh, actually have the most strategic points um, because I've got the spaceport. That spaceport, mate. Oh, man. It gives you four right out the bat. Uh, and I think... Which you... is a lot in, there, in terms of the setting. Yeah, I think, I think the Orcs had two to start off with. And, and one of my cards has four. Um, so I went uh, very Black Templar-y and took the ability for three strategic points, so it's quite a lot. I took the ability to take an extra relic in my games. So yeah. I thought very Black Templar-y, take something, take an, an extra relic. This this is escalating. Let's open the reliquary and churn out all of the... <laughs> you can have a relic. No, you can have a relic. <laughs> Should go full Oprah on it, mate. So, does it stack, and can I get three relics for three command points? Uh, no. Oh. So, you get to use it once. So, <laughs> yeah, in the next battle round we fight um, that the Black Templars are involved in, they will be able to use this and purchase an extra relic, which for none of your actual army command points, just these almost, air quotes, free strategic points from the, from the mission, and that's pretty good. I don't think it's game-breaking either. No, and it's not because it comes from a special. All these strategic points that Dave's accumulated come from this um, special location, this starport. If I want to take the starport off you, I have to use a special stratagem myself that lets me assault one of the named locations, and then we have to fight the starport mission. So I'm saving up my command points so I can, or my strategic points, so I can get you with the uh, with the orcs next time. I will I, defend that to my last. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how the orcs are going to get some strategic points. I think the new. Um, so it's, it's on the it's on the well, urban conquest grid system. I have grabbed two new locations with the orcs. You so have because you I won, can... so yes. you could you got the first dibs. I got first dibs, and it has to be something next to them. So I grabbed a good one. So hopefully they can actually rack up some points, and I can take that starport off your mitts. Well, so that's what the starport does. You don't have to gain a tile that's next to your yeah, current location. Um, so I actually blocked 
off the I think I blocked off the Thousand Suns from getting any extra um, tiles yeah. because I jumped across the board yeah. and took it. So so far, only one round in, but Urban Conquest has been freaking awesome. Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this campaign pans out. Next one is going to be Imperium versus Thousand Suns. Mm, that should that should be really good. Right, so should we roll on to our topic then, Dave? Sure. Right, so as mentioned at the start of the show, this was a topic that came to us uh, via one of our patrons as part of the setup we've got there to discuss failed projects or abandoned projects and what we can do about that, what we can do to mitigate that, and give yourself some options. Yeah, so this was, this was um, Phil Lewis... And uh, I think the tagline was, uh, what can be learned from abandoned projects and what can be done to prevent them slash start them? It got us thinking. I mean, it's, it's a great topic. I think any hobbyist is lying if they say they've never abandoned the project. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, we've done it several times. And I think this actually came up off the back of your Eagle Warriors. Yes, that was a project I started and abandoned. And I guess the first question is, why do people end up abandoning projects? So with the Eagle Warriors one, for example, their colour scheme is split white and blue. Yes. Um, I've mentioned it before on the show. I started painting white via a very, very poorly chosen method of using ceramite white, which I think you can't even get anymore, which is the base (laughs) paint, and then shading. And then it was incredibly painful. I love the 10 models that I did, plus the Storm Raven. I've tried several times to start up adding models to that collection. Well, I mean, a few months ago, you said you were going to try it. Yeah, I painted two models and then stopped because it's it's painful. So, I mean, I probably should have thought about this in advance and maybe painted white a different way, but it was definitely, I was not enjoying painting them, so I decided to abandon them. How would you categorize that? Is that because it was, you weren't enjoying it? Yeah, I think lack of enjoyment and it being a a big chore. And it's not like, everyone Diffic- has hobby chores, I mean, is right? it difficult or...? Was it just long-winded? Long-winded, and uh, any errors are a nightmare to fix because it's over white. So I basically got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it, and everyone has hobby chores you have to do, like basing or something that you don't like, but it's usually a part of a project, whereas I was not enjoying the entire project. So I did the bits that I did, finished them, and then kind of shelved doing anything further. Yeah, so if we have a look at ways to mitigate you abandoning projects i say you as the collective you not you in specific thanks Dave. but uh ways ways at which we can all start a project and carry on or avoid starting a project because you've got bored of them or um another reason so if we start off with uh, something that i actually mentioned earlier deadlines yeah so stick to deadlines if you are creating a, an army for a specific event uh, like you were talking about your ultramarines you created for your uh, campaign weekend yep in fact i got my templars finished for a campaign weekend way back when as well i mean even using the example of the campaign we're in now this hallows gate campaign uh dave from uh Warzo morlock is painting his death guard along with the schedule of escalating games so that he has all of his stuff done in time for the next round in the campaign, which is the next level of points, etc. So using that to kind of G himself along. Yeah, and the es- escalation campaign is, is, a, is, a, is a great point. I mean, even the Primaris that I'm doing for uh, this campaign, our, our mini campaign, uh, I am doing as part of lists for the escalating points. Yeah, so it's keeping you, keeping you motivated. And we, I mean, we talked about motivation before, quite a long time ago now, and it is hard to keep yourself hobby motivated. And I think 
a little bit of that is that we never really touched on before is working out what is demotivating you. So the Eagle Warriors, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, the Ultramarines, when I stopped my 8th edition upgrade project is because I just wasn't enjoying playing with the models. The army was not good and the games were becoming frustrating. So it's not just always the painting side that puts you off. It might be something actual game related that you're not liking so much. Yeah, well, that, that was one of the points that I put down. Uh, just make sure you actually want to play with them. That, that is one of the things. It's, it's making sure that you have the enjoyment to play the army in game terms. So maybe try uh, playing an intro game with, with an army, say a friend's, mm. a friend's got. Sort of give, give them a test run. I mean, I played with Thousand Sons before I even bought any, just to see if I would like the slightly obtuse playstyle with yep. psychic powers mm. as opposed to an army with very little psychic powers, so to speak. It's it's really good to get a feel for the playstyle as well. Like I said, with the psychic powers, or if you go from a say a Space Wolves to a Tau, they're very they're two very different armies and you just might not like playing the gunline army. Yeah. Um and even mixing up the army lists that you might want to play with. If you don't like the Gunline Army, but you really wanted to play with the Storm Surge, maybe don't buy the Storm Surge, because if you don't want to play that playstyle, you're not going to use it. If you want to have like a, a fast attack tower army, maybe uh, start painting up Piranhas and, and Crisis Suits, because mm. that's more suited to the way you want to play them. Suited, nice. Nice. And the key is, I think, to look into that, like you're saying, before you go too far down the road of buying a bunch of stuff that's just going to languish in your hobby stash. I'm going to segue into budgeting. So yes, this is, I mean, this could be a hobby topic on its own, to be honest, mate, but go and drop some knowledge on us. Yes. So, I mean, budgeting, like nobody wants to talk about money, but money is a big part of the hobby. And be realistic when you are taking on a project that you want to complete in a time period mm-hmm. or if you want to c- complete for an event, a tournament. Be realistic with how much it's going to cost because you might have a custodes army, which isn't too expensive mm-hmm. because yep. the models points-wise are so expensive. Yeah, You compare that with someone that wants to do a Deathcore of Krieg army. Oh my gosh, I was about to suggest someone I know who, who wanted to do a Deathcore of Krieg army. But that's why it's taken so long, is because those models are so expensive. We obviously love Games Workshop, we love the hobby, etc. It's not a cheap hobby at face value. There are cheap ways... Of, there are cheaper, Well, there are cheaper ways of doing the hobby. It's not a cheap hobby in any aspect. You could do the hobby on a much tighter budget if you yeah, are, you if can. you really, really wanted to squeeze value. You can, you can get, you can get the hobby on a on a good budget. But if you want to have a good choice of stuff and you want to buy the army that you like, not the army that you can afford, it's a balancing act, right? Like you say, you love the Deathcore Krieg models because mm-hmm. they are beautiful models, but you know you don't have the hobby budget available to be doing that army at the pace you would do a normal army. It's kind of like a backburner project, but. Yeah. You could easily become disillusioned, which is the whole kind of context of this conversation with that army, if it's not progressing how you want it to because you can't afford to. So, and I did. And it circles back to the budget control. Yeah, I, I did become disillusioned with it. I would categorize my death core as a project that's fallen by the wayside because I haven't bought anything for it or painted up anything for it for 
a while. A year, probably, at least. Oh, at least. But I am under no impressions that I was going to do it quickly because I knew how much they were going to cost. Now, even more so with my son coming along, that it's very much... Well, as in coming (laughs) along, as in he is now here. Um, My budget for hobby has been drastically reduced just because your priorities completely change. Yeah, absolutely. So I am now limiting myself to, uh, say, a box a month just because before I had disposable income, didn't have a child. Yes, I had a mortgage and all that sort of stuff. But you budget accordingly to how much disposable income you have and make sure you don't get behind on, on anything because you want some shiny new... Raven Guard or Iron Yeah, I mean, I had to do that. The same, the same thing when 8th edition dropped originally. Uh, financial position wasn't so great, so hence the repaint of the Ultramarines was my priority. Like, I want a new army for 8th edition. I can't buy a new army for 8th edition. I've got all these Ultramarines that need some love. Perfect opportunity to, to do a project that was budget sensible. Unfortunately, little did I know it was meta poor choice or whatever. I got <laughs> smashed too many times. Do you know what I mean? But it was, that was definitely a factor in my thinking. And of course, once you move beyond managing the budget, there's managing the time you have available. Yeah. So for exactly the same reasons why my budget's been reduced, <laughs> yep. my hobby time, I say that my hobby time's been reduced. My hobby time has actually increased. I mean, personally, my hobby time has increased because I can't do other things that I used to be able to do. So you're, you're taking the reduced amount of hobby time that you've got, free time that you've got, yep. and channeling more of it into one hobby, and yes. that one hobby is 40k. Exactly, yeah. So, I, I mean, I've, I've cut down on lots of things from, like, sort of social engagements. Not because I'm boring and want to stay home. Well... Because I'm boring and want to stay home. <laughs> no, but it's it's... It means that I have more time because uh, also 40k is quite a quiet hobby as well. Yes, it's, it's not shouting at the TV when your team concedes a goal on FIFA or getting peed off with your raid mates on Warcraft. Uh, I mean, I always have my headphones in when I'm painting 40k, so yep. there is literally no sound at all. So for me, 40k has been the ideal hobby. Yeah, and I think approaching a project with that kind of available time in mind is a great idea. I have got, like every other hobbyist, too many projects on the go at once. But I had all that primary stuff sitting there doing nothing. Hence the contrast project. I kind of set myself a mental parameters of the project before I started. It was stuff I already had, so it was budget friendly, or I'd accumulated. I bought one, two new bits, some paint. It's time friendly because it's a very, very quick process to get it all done. An hour 35 and counting. Yep. And the only problem is I've got to I've got to meet that motivational requirement to keep it going because new shinies are appearing all around us. There's the armies <laughs> on parade borders started to grab my attention. I wanted to redo the Ultramarines because Space Marines were so good all of a sudden. There's a lot of things vying for time. I think this one's going to be a case of I don't have a deadline for this project. And I think that might be a mistake, not setting myself a time I want to use it by. So I think if I set myself even a, um, a quite generous time, like by the end of the year, I should finish this project. Or we are playing the campaign games at the moment. If you want to use your fumigators in... Nice, nice, yeah. Fulminators. 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 I'll write it down for you. (laughs) If you want to use your fulminators in uh, one of the campaign games, say um, on December, mid-December, we have a game, Imperium versus Thousand Suns, and against my Thousand Suns, you want to play a mix of your Primaris and Advec. 
Yeah, it's, it's, I, need, I need to think about something that I put in place to make myself do it. Like the armies on parade thing is flying through at the moment because I have until the 19th of October to get it done. Yeah, so this project has, has ticked a number of boxes on the things to consider, but I think I've not thought about the deadline. So again, all these things, I think you've got to think about them to kind of drive you to decide whether you want to start the project or not. I think one of the major reasons why we start a project is because you start reading about them, about the army, mm. or you see the army and then you start looking into the background. And every time I read the Gaunt's Ghost books, I yep. suddenly get an urge to do an Imperial Guard because I love the, the background mm-hmm. bit from the um, Gaunt's Ghosts. And it sort of confirms my love for that army. I, I won't do it because I don't have the time. I don't really have the budget to buy an Imperial Guard army. But I think rekindling fires for projects that you've already started for example i um, took some books on holiday including black templar books on holiday and actually that's what started the aside from the primary stuff all sort of rolling up and kicking out reading a black templars novel on holiday pushed me back into the 40k spirit to get my black templars done and I know that after last episode, we talked about your Tau army, that you have a work in progress, your incursion guerrilla force Tau army. Yeah. Even after, just talk about it then, we had a text conversation, you were like, after I've done this 1,000 points worth of whatever it is of Primaris upgrades, I want to get the Tau back on the table. Yep. And that's great, because that is a project that has fallen by the wayside, and... You know, if it goes another year or two without you doing it, it's going to be classified, I think, as an abandoned project. And I see, you know, things making their way onto being solved secondhand. So now having just talked about it and just gone back over the background concept with yourself, you know, when we were texting, you were quite fired up that once the primaries are out of the way, it's Tau time. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love my Tau army. And it rekindled, after that conversation, like you said, it rekindled my, my love for that, that idea and that concept of the army. Yes, I think it's really good to, if you've got an abandoned project, kind of mentally revisit it. And like you've said before, read some background, read some fluff, kind of motivate yourself to see if you really want to finish it. I mean, if it's like the Eagle Warriors, I'm not going to finish them. I've just got to face up to the fact that I'm not enjoying it enough. But other things like your towel, now you're fired up to, to, to get back on it. Would you repaint them in a different colour scheme? The models could probably be just primed with um, lead belcher and done with uh, the same colours as the, uh, the Fulminators. The problem is that they're all um, standard marines. We're standard marines and standard terminators, so I'd have to do them a crag blue and do them as ultramarines, and I'm, I'm kind of done on painting ultramarines once these vehicles are out of the way. I want to... Yeah. So, they'll sit on a shelf somewhere for a, for a while. Maybe I'll put them on my desk as a reminder for n- future projects to uh, sort this shit out in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I hope that helped phil and uh hopefully some other people have picked up some points and steer away from starting projects that are say doomed from the start yeah right so should we round things off with a hobby tip dave yeah you're working on your armies on parade board so you want to talk about how you did the rocks yes i want to talk about how i did the rock modeling and how i created the heavy air quotes natural structures on the board so it is a large cliff face that spans two foot at the back of the board sections um, step one, you do not want to build a large expanse of rock face or anything like that out of a heavy material because there's a lot of it. Yep. So you need to do something light. So I used the honeycomb cardboard packaging that comes with IKEA furniture, but I've also seen you can buy it online. 
I wouldn't use it again unless you were too really concerned about reusing something you've already got. Because I already had it, so I wanted to use it. It's lightweight, which is great to make the overall structure. It's not the easiest to work with. Because when you cut it, it's not got a smooth surface behind it. You kind of cut into the honeycomb, so you have a lot of like cavities to fill. So this is a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do section? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> A lot of our sections turn into that, actually. But anyway, um, so lesson learned on that one. Don't use that unless you already have it to hand and you want to get rid of it and make use of it, because then it's better than throwing it away. I would go with uh, expanded polystyrene. So that's kind of the standard model of material is to use expanded polystyrene because it's incredibly light, robust enough to kind of work with. You can shape it easily with a knife or hot hot wire tools. It just basically forms the it basically forms the overall structure on which you're going to build like the detailing. Most of these materials that are lightweight are pretty easy to break and dent and damage. So, I mean, you think about polystyrene foam, it's the stuff that comes out of your uh, TVs when you order them, washing machine, all that stuff, that packaging foam that breaks into little white pellets. Horrible stuff. It gets everywhere. Yeah, horrible stuff gets everywhere. If you cut it with a knife, you've got to use a sharp blade. If you use a hot wire, it melts it so you don't end up with little bobbles everywhere, which is nice. The first terrain I ever made was out of uh, polystyrene boxes nice. for my uh, Fellowship of the Ring starter set. Awesome. Yeah. I remember doing that in the garden with my dad. They come in some interesting shapes that do kind of look terrainish on their own sometimes, but when you're doing the kind of rock structures, you've, you've got to chop it up. So after you finish working with it, you need to toughen it up. So you can use a couple of options here. Budget option number one, everyone's childhood favorite, paper mache. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, layers of newspaper or kitchen towel with PVA on them Water, so 50-50 water and PVA mix. Over a balloon that's blown up. Exactly. Everyone remembers that about it. But you put three or four layers of that over the card or over your foam, it'll give you a tough enough shell to work on. It's cheap because you use paper and PVA, which will cost you peanuts. However, it will take days and days to dry if you're doing it in multiple layers over a large area. Okay, mid-level option. Um, Plaster-covered bandages. So these you can buy from your craft store. Um, it's a bandage with plaster powder on it you dip it in water put it on and shape it and then let it set cheap enough and it's tough it's essentially what they do for casts yeah, it's a bit like a hobby version of a plaster cast for your arms they use fiberglass these days but yeah it used, to be, it used to be plaster casts mm. that in two or three layers over the material will harden it up and toughen it up enough the best product to use is a product called sculptor mold which is basically a mixture of paper fibers and plaster so you get the toughness of plaster but you don't get the heaviness because it's mixed in with paper fibres. That's the tagline for the company. It's a bit shorter than that, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You can make your own by mixing toilet paper and water together to make a paper slurry and then mixing in the plaster. That's what I've been doing because Sculptor Mold's not the cheapest to buy and I love a hobby budget tip. Um, but if you want to get something that's going to be 100% reliable without any faff, go with the Sculptor Mold. So you basically smooth this stuff on... Um, let it set and it forms a crust on the outside of your terrain that is really really tough so then you've got a nice solid base unit to be working with so this is like a like a shell so you've got the shape of the rock face without the actual rocks on yeah it. this is your air quotes landform that the terrain makers will call it a landform it's the it's the shape of the of the of the ground basically so then you've got to make it look like rocks so you've got the option to sculpt as in carve rock shapes and crevices and things into the sculptor mold because it will take carving that will take you an eternity to do a large area and i really would keep that to kind of like gap filling um you really want to use something that looks like a rock so option one is rocks 
you could actual rocks. You could get a bunch of rocks, large size rocks, and adhere them to the terrain. The problem is it will weigh an absolute ton. It'll probably like break the sculptor mold. It'll drag it off. Potentially, yes. Which yeah. is why it's really not a good option. Again, unless you're covering a very small area and you want to put a few rocks on to look like fallen rubble and things like that, that's okay. But like anything pebble dashing, anything bigger than that, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's got to look it's got to look right. So you can make rocks. So you can cast copies of rocks. So option number one is get a big rock. Put a load of latex layers over it, make your own mould, and cast that with plaster of Paris or a, or a harder plaster that they use for coving in, in building works. That is faffy and a pain in the ass. or you can just order an already prepared rubber mould from Woodland Scenics, so they're the terrain scenery-making people. Um, they're the train enthusiast scenery-making people. Yeah, they, yeah. they sell their stuff everywhere work globally. Um, the rock moulds are amazing. Look great. They, they look super realistic. You fill it up with plaster, let it set, pop it out, fill it up with plaster, let it set, pop it out. You can break them up because the plaster is not indestructible. It's hard enough that you can snap it. You can chip the edges to look like rocks. You can do a lot. You basically clad your landform in these rock pieces. Um, you can stick them on with like um, a grip adhesive used for building. A hot glue gun would work. And then once that's all set in place, you just fill in all the gaps between them with the either some plaster or the sculptor mold mix. Um, and let it set and what you're left with is a uniform single piece rock face that has all these rocky textures on it and is one piece of giant plaster basically yeah i mean it looks like a, a canyon side doesn't it sort yes. of arizona desert but you can make it undulate in and out by doing that base shape with your with your foam underneath then you've got to paint it it takes no time at all to paint these plaster rock faces i did the ones for my previous armies on parade board in literally half an hour Okay, well, you spray it all the colour and then dry brush? Because dry brush, I suppose, lends itself to that sort of... So you can spray paint it. It does take spray paint okay because it soaks it up because it's a porous surface. Um, and then you can dry brush up. That looks okay, but it's not very realistic. So if you want to do it realistic and quick, you use washes. Okay. So the technical term is called leopard spot technique. This is what the train enthusiasts do. You basically mix up... Because rock is not just grey. Rock is a whole load of different colours. Yep. So you mix up a pot of very watered-down yellow, like a muted yellow. Games Workshop colours like ball or brown, that kind of yellowy, brown ochre like colour. Almost like a tan. Yes. Yeah. And a deep red. There's a dirty... Like a brownie red, like tusk or fur or something. Is it tusk or fur? The darker one? Or doom ball brown? Something Doomball like that. Brown, That's yeah. kind of reddy brown colour. Um, I would try and use craft paints because you only want to use your GW paints, but you're watering it down a lot so it goes really far. And you splotch these onto the rocks in kind of a one-third mix. So one-third of the rock face is covered in yellow in splotches, one-third is covered in the red and ready brown in splotches, and the other one-third is left white. And you let that dry. It doesn't take very long at all, like a few minutes, because the plaster just soaks up all the water. It kind of stains the surface, these mottled colours. You then go over the whole thing with a watered-down mid-tone grey which obviously stains the white bits grey tones down the two colours that you put on there and kind of leaves you with this patchy grey colour then you go over that with a wash of black that's a little bit stronger and then you are done honestly it will look like real rock at that point because the wash of the black does the crevices and like brings out the texture and the greys and the yellows and the reds that are there have all kind of mixed together at the, this point in kind of like a mottledy fashion where you can't really see the borders of all the different colours and it looks like real rock. You might want to do a step-by-step -step on the Instagram. I probably will do a step-by-step -step on Instagram when I do this board. Yep. Um, but you will be amazed. I mean, you can just Google Leopard Spot um, Technique. Luke's APS, as I mentioned in every other show, has got a great video on how to do this. Um, Mel, the terrain tutor, has done it on a recent video. 
it looks really, really good for low effort, and it gives you a realistic colouring because of the, the the hues in the background. And honestly, this board is like two foot wide behind me. I will be able to paint that in half an hour using this technique. Sounds interesting. So yeah, really worth going for it if you're doing... Um, like This is a 40k board that's going to work well on. You can obviously do it on any sort of fantasy setting because you've got rocky hillsides and cliffs and you can basically put them on any terrain board that's not the middle of a city. Nice. So that just about wraps us up for this episode. Of course, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Floorhammer Podcast. Our Instagram at Floorhammer underscore podcast and our website Floorhammer Podcast dot com cheers for listening guys speak to you on the next show